I am thrilled with today's guest, uh, Jonathan Greenblatt, uh, who's been all over the media lately for unfortunate reasons, uh, but doing a wonderful job. I have tremendous respect for him. He is, of course, the head of the Anti-Defamation League. we got a lot to talk about. Thanks for joining me, my friend. I'm delighted to be here, Donnie. Nice to see you. Just a quick 90 seconds on your background. You know, I'm doing a little homework. I didn't realize that you had worked in the Clinton White House, the Obama White House. You founded Ethos Water, yep. uh, entrepreneur, political guy. Uh, how did you get about, you know, about nine years now running the, the ADL? How'd you get into that? Uh, I don't know. Like, I always wanted to change <laughs> the world, you know? And so when I graduated yeah. from Tufts uh, back in 1992, I moved to Arkansas and worked for Governor Clinton. Not because I wanted to be in politics, but I wanted to change the world, and I thought he was going to do it. And then I ended up going with him to Washington when he won and went to the White House and did like applied microeconomics. Uh, I got an MBA out at Kellogg and studied marketing and strategy. Then I wanted to change the world and go to the internet. I thought that was going to change the world in the mid-90s, late-90s. And I joined a little company called Realtor.com. Sure. And it ended up getting really big and going public. And I had a great run there. But uh, after that, I still wanted to change the world and didn't want to work for like Wall Street bankers. So I left that and co-founded this business, Ethos Water, with my roommate from Kellogg. And it was about a water business. The idea was to help children get clean water. We started that in my house in LA. We scaled it. We sold to Starbucks. And then I worked there for Howard Schultz uh, on that you know, much bigger retail platform and grew Ethos to the national brand that it is. And then uh, still wanted to change the world. So I came back to LA and ran a little company called Good. And then uh, we created something called All for Good to help people not just like drink our water or read our magazine, but volunteer in their communities. And we built the biggest, with the help of Google, we incubated at Google. We built the largest database of volunteer opportunities on the internet um, and then sold that in 2011. And then I got a call from President Obama and I, look, I was working with a private equity firm, Donnie, but I still wanted to change the world. So when he called and said, come join my senior team, come work in the West Wing, run our innovation shop, I was, I mean, it was an amazing opportunity. It's a gift to work for him. And I did, I, you know, I was responsible for innovation at the White House for three and a half years, um, focused on how do we accelerate economic recovery? How do we use businesses to boost job creation, whatever? And then I thought I'd go back home and go finally go back to making money. Then I got a call about this job and I still believe in changing the world. So that's how I ended up ended up here. Well, we're happy that you're here. Let's jump right into it. You tweeted about this the other day. I was shocked to hear Karine Jean-Pierre, White House spokesperson, uh, White House press secretary, uh, when asked about the rise in anti-Semitism, she just basically completely deflected and punted and went right into uh, the, the rise in anti-Muslim sentiment, which obviously is an issue also. But why is this, why is there this resistance to openly acknowledge, particularly coming from a White House that has been so behind Israel, the rise in anti-Semitism. Well, look, I think Corrine must have misheard the question. She got it right yesterday, if you will, yeah, in the briefing. She, right. she opened by the press briefing by talking about this. But I will say, Donnie, you're asking the right question more broadly. Like, why is it so hard for the quote-unquote progressive left to call out anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism with the same fervor they bring to every other issue? Why is it hard for university presidents to have the kind of moral clarity they have on every other issue? Why is it hard for many influencers and celebrities to show up here like they do on every other issue? That is stunning. And to be honest, it's terrifying. Like as a Jewish person, why don't Jewish lives matter as much as other lives? The answer is 
anti-Semitism. Right. I can't, there is there is no other answer. Right. Other than, look, your 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 group does some amazing research every year where we find out that you know Jews are two percent of the population of the United States, yet fifty six percent of the of uh, the uh, religious hate crimes yep. are against Jews. Yep. Twenty twenty percent of people in this country, which is about sixty million people, harbor anti-Semitic views, and. It's throughout history. We're still, we're a generation away from the Holocaust. There's no other answer. I don't understand it. You are right. I mean, anti-Semitism is called the oldest hatred for a reason. It's transcended time and place and culture. And to your point, like, look, they used to say Judaism wasn't a legitimate religion. That's what they said in the early days of Christianity and Islam. They said, no, okay, it's a legitimate religion, but Judaism isn't. And that, that kind of culminated in the Inquisition, right? In the wholesale murder of Jews in Europe. And then it was, no, 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 that's fine, Donnie, but Jews aren't a religion, a, a real people, a legitimate people. And that culminated in the Holocaust because Hitler's and Jews were subhuman. And after nice. the Holocaust was, no, 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 no. Judaism is fine. Jewish people are fine. It's the Jewish state that isn't legitimate. It's the Jewish state that doesn't belong. And that sort of culminated in October the 7th when you had these barbarians, when you had these terrorists running wild like literally going house to house, room to room, and liquidating families, executing children in front of their parents. I mean, it's hard to think of something more grotesque, raping women and then kidnapping them and then bringing them into Gaza, torturing the elderly. I could go on and on. The stories are more and more nauseating. So it is, it is bewildering to me, not as a Jew, but as a human being, as a human being, as a yeah. human being, how are people confused about this? How are people, you know, how do you dither and equivocate in the face of evil? I don't understand it. I, I was on Nicole's show. I think it was the Tuesday or Wednesday after October seventh, and I went into this whole dissertation about the brand of Hamas. What is make no mistake about it? It, it just they are their mission statement is to slaughter Jews, right? And that was seen as breakthrough. I, I mean, it took four or five days, and, and I also I called out Hollywood. I, I don't yeah. I, why. I want Hollywood. You can't say is anti-Semitic because we know it's not. I of mean, not. as a, as an overall, but. My only explanation of why Hollywood refused to come out is because they're so afraid of this crazed far left that somehow it would diminish empathy for the Palestinian plight, where it doesn't, there could be two truths at the same at one time. And I, 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 w I was stunned by that. Well, look, I think there are many people in Hollywood who got it right. And yet the, the deafening silence of like the Writers Guild, which seemed, in, again, after calling out things like Time's Up and Black Lives Matter, which they should have in the moment, their inability to call this out. They said they couldn't reach consensus. I'm like, what do you have to reach consensus on? Like it was the wholesale murder of 1400 people. Like, what are we confused about? But I will say a couple things. So number one, I think what you just said is a really important observation. The people, well, if you call out this slaughter of Jews, people will say you're anti-Palestinian. And let me go on record and tell, say something right here, Donnie, and right now. The most anti-Palestinian organization in the world is Hamas. Hamas, yes. Hamas has done more to damage the Palestinian cause than any other group, than anything Israel's ever done. Why is that? Why do not people understand that? Why is that? It's By the way, a group that would use their own people as human shields. We know it. We see it. Why? Why is there not a clear, clear, widespread understanding of that and the separation between Hamas and the Palestinian people. You know, I think in part, do you remember George uh, W. Bush, 
ahead of I think it was the Iraq war, which, you know, again, was a, was a problem, a tragedy in so many ways. But he used a phrase, Donnie, that I think of often. He talked about the, quote, soft bigotry of low expectations. Yeah. For those people who said the Arab world can't have democracy. And I think about that now, like, why can't we, why can't we acknowledge that the Palestinian people have agency to say we deserve, you know, some degree of self-determination and we should throw off the yoke of the fascist, totalitarian, homicidal, you know, uh, Hamas terror organization. Why can't they do that? And why don't we ask them to do that? I don't know. I really don't. Well, know. I also, I want you know. I, I think in the last election, sixty percent of Palestinians voted for Hamas. So, is is there is it fair to say that there is a large group of Palestinians who are pro Hamas? And and are you in no way demeaning Palestinians or all? That's just a fact. Look, like the polling indicates that there is large support for Hamas on the street in Gaza and the West Bank. I mean, that's what the polling tells us. So. And yet, let's also acknowledge there was a lot of support for the Third Reich, you know, in the run-up to the Second World War. By the way, Donnie, let's keep in mind, not only were many Germans pro-Nazi, many, 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 but Americans were. You know, in 1939, okay, after Kristallnacht, after the Nuremberg Laws, February 1939, there was a rally in Madison Square Garden, and 20,000 people showed up yes, to celebrate Hitler. Yes, people don't know that. People don't. Yeah. So, I, I use that to draw an analogy to say all these people marching in these pro Hamas rallies today, they will be remembered like the apologists for the Nazi party of the 1930s. And I don't think history will judge them very well. You know, I, I you brought up the Nazis and I've talked about that. I think it's so important to co-brand Hamas with the Nazis. It is no different. It is the same mission statement. And I really wonder on college campuses today, if there were pro-Nazi rallies, how the administrators, how the heads of those universities would be handling that. Yeah. I mean, look, we know it because we've seen a surge of white supremacist activity in the last decade and college presidents and university administrators universally have said, no, we don't want these groups on our campus. No, we don't want these speakers on our campus. No, we reject this. And yet now, in the face to your point of an organization whose mission statement and whose kind of value proposition is the same, those same college presidents can't muster the courage to say, we don't want people spouting homicidal, you know, genocide on our campus. It's it's an astonishing... Um, it's an astonishing uh, surrender, if you will, of all kind of like moral, morality and principles. Let's go over some misnomers and let, let's give people tools when they get into debates. Okay, sure. First misnomer, Israel is a colonizer. Look, is the... <laughs> The Jewish people have been living on the land of Eretz Israel, if you will, for 2,000 years. The term Jew comes from the tribe Judea, which is what they called the land, you know, 2,000 years ago. So it's certainly true that the Romans pushed the Jews out and forced them to live in diaspora, but many Jews stayed in that region, in that vicinity. Um, and the yearning for for Zion, right, has been part of our tradition, Donnie, for 2,000 years. You can't walk into mm -hmm. a synagogue anywhere on the planet Earth and open a prayer book and not read about 
Jerusalem and Israel mm-hmm. because it's part of our tradition. This is why I say every Jewish person, Donnie, irrespective of their politics, whether they're an ethnic Jew or a cultural Jew or an atheist Jew, if you're a Jew, Donnie, you're a Zionist because Zion is embedded. Yes. It's encoded in the DNA of our tradition. Again, if we were to deconstruct the brand of Judaism, like Zion, Jerusalem would be at the center of it, like it or not. So are the how can the Jews be colonizers in a land that was theirs? Now, it's true after, you know, without getting into too much history, but after the founding of Islam in Arabia, the Arabian forces went up and colonized that whole region and brought Islam with them. We call those people who came from that region Arabs versus Jews or versus other ethnic groups that were there. It's also true that the Crusaders came and occupied it, and then the Arabs pushed them out. It's also true that the Turks came in and occupied it until the British pushed them out, that the British occupied it. And then eventually the United Nations came in and said, you know, the British left and the UN said, let's partition the land. One side for the Jews, one side for the Arabs. The Jews accepted that and founded Israel. The Arabs rejected that, and they've been in a position of rejection ever since. Misnomer number two. Uh, Israel are oppressors of the Palestinians and they are the cause of the Palestinian plight and the suffering of the Palestinian people. Look, that is just such baloney. In 1948, like we were just talking about when the Arabs rejected Israel, there was a war, there was fighting, and then what happened? Egypt occupied Gaza, Jordan occupied the West Bank, Syria occupied what we call the Golan Heights. Not Israel. So if you want to talk about the Nakba and the suffering Start with the Arab governments that occupied, quote unquote, the land that had been allocated by the United Nations for the Arabs who were living there. Not, not, not Israel. How about the Arab governments that will not let any of the Palestinian refugees in? That's the next thing I was going to say. So then the refugees were created by that. And look, refugees are terrible. My wife's family were refugees from Iran. Okay, they came here as refugees from Iran. My grandparents were refugees from Germany. But America settled German refugees. Israel settled Arab refugees, Jewish Arab refugees, but you know who wouldn't settle them? The Arab countries. And that's why you have these permanent refugee camps in Egypt, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Jordan. If they'd been settled 75 years ago, we wouldn't have this problem. It just wouldn't be a thing. But so it's not Israel's fault that those governments chose never to give those people rights. And then in 1967, when Israel pushes back on another war against it and takes over the West Bank, from Jordan and takes over Gaza from the Egyptians. Like, look, if the if the Arabs had agreed to a peace agreement with Israel in 1967, we wouldn't have this problem. After the Oslo process, we wouldn't have had this problem. I mean, at, when the Israelis offered them in the year 2000, maybe it was 2001, a peace deal, they didn't accept it, we wouldn't have this problem. So, you know, Abba Ibn, the famous statesman, said the Arab states have never, the Palestinians have never rejected, missed an opportunity to reject an opportunity. That really seems to be true. So, and by every, the way, Donnie, I should just say, I believe in a two-state solution. Yeah, I was. You just read my mind. Okay. But basically, the 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 happy ending, and I, I don't mean to sound glib, is a peaceful two-state solution. How do we possibly get there when you have one side, or certainly the governing body, who believes in the complete annihilation of the other side? So what, you know, what is the answer? What is the, what is, you know, and everybody is saying to the, you know, the United States is saying to Israel, look, proceed cautiously. We made mistakes in Iraq and you have to be able to build, know what you're going to build and leave there before you go in. So what's the answer? Well, 
I think the right analogy is not Iraq. It's Germany, 1945. Interesting. So look, I think what, what needs to happen is a denazification of Gaza. Now, maybe we can call that a dehamasification of Gaza, but a dehamasification means the leaders have to leave. Those who are left behind should be accountable for their crimes, their crimes against the Palestinian people, their crimes against the Israeli people. And then you need to probably create some kind of stewardship to facilitate and support a new government for these people. Well, that's the, that's, that's the big million dollar question. What does that stewardship look like? Well, I think it's probably America. It's probably European powers. Maybe it's Saudi Arabia. Maybe it's UAE. Maybe it's Egypt. But like, I think all the countries of the world, maybe it's China, like all oh, the good, countries. Good, good, good luck with that. Well, but like all of us have a vested interest in calming the region and helping Palestinian people achieve some degree of dignity and equality. But Hamas has showed us that they can't be trusted. They've had 17 years and all they've done is build a death machine, a death machine. So we need to dehamasify Gaza once and for all. Can you dehamas an ideological being versus yes you can we can target their 27 heads and the 4,000 members whatever the quantification of this is how do you get rid of the ideology that is so entrenched in so many people nazi ideology is very entrenched too i think it has to hamas has to be defeated their ideology has to be we need to demonstrate its bankruptcy and offer them a better alternative which is why again the prospect of building like a hong kong or a singapore in the mediterranean that wasn't so far away when the Israelis left in 2005. The Israelis mm -hmm. left entirely. They don't occupy Gaza. They haven't. But yes. we need to help the Palestinian people. We need to kind of go over the heads of Hamas and help them understand with the right governance, with the right support systems, the prosperity they could create for their children and their grandchildren. We have to offer them that hope. We've seen the disappointment in the way the media has covered things uh, that immediately putting Israel on defensive and immediately accusing Israel of the hospital strike, which has been proven wrong. The concern everybody has is everybody agrees, every military strategist, every uh, person who makes sense that you have to go in and destroy Hamas. Yep. In order to do that, there will obviously be tremendous civilian casualties, uh, Palestinian civil, civ civilian casualties. Different, although horrific, different than casualties when the civilians are the targets. These are now, I don't want to minimize it, but collateral damage. How are we going to prevent the rise of anti-Semitism coming out of that when we know the images that we're going to see on the screen are some horrific images of innocent Palestinians being killed because of the way Hamas embeds themselves in them? How does the cycle not continue? Well, look, I'm not a geo-military strategist, to be honest with you, so I can't tell Israel how to prosecute their kind of war. But here at home, you're right. We've already seen, Donnie, in the past two weeks, a 388% increase of anti-Semitic incidents. These are overt acts of harassment and vandalism and violence directed against Jewish individuals or institutions. We've seen you know, kosher restaurants vandalized, synagogues desecrated. A few blocks from my house, the Second Avenue Deli, Second Avenue Deli swastikas. Yeah, I mean, it's despicable. And anybody who thinks painting swastikas on the Second Avenue Deli has something to do with fighting colonialism, they should get their head examined, you know? Like the people who think rape is resistance or something. So I say all that only to make the point, we're worried now, and you're right, it could get a lot worse. So what does it mean for us? I think, number one, we have got to remain vigilant. We have got to be on alert. I mean, honestly, most Jewish institutions are already. We've learned to be that way because there have been so many attacks over the years. And yet, now more than ever, we need to make sure that the government provides the funding we need 
to fortify our synagogues and our schools. We need to make sure that leaders speak out when somebody does something anti-Semitic. Again, whether you're the president of the United States and Joe Biden has been great. Amazing. Or, or you're the president of the university, like the president of Penn, not so That's much. My, my, my alma mater, which has been so disappointing, so disheartening. All of my friends, we are, uh, we're so distraught because the university has been, is, for me personally, it's been such a big part of who I am. And Penn's one of those schools that gets in your blood. And now- I look at Penn completely differently. It's really it, sad. It, 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 it's tragic. And and they're doubling and tripling down. Uh, I mean, the university president put out some mealy mouth finally nine or 10 days later. And then the head of the kind of what I think is called the tri um, uh, faculty, you know, what represents the faculty says, you know, we're not going to be bullied and we stand by everything. It's just. Horrific, I don't know horrific. why it's bullying to ask someone to call out barbarism, right? Yeah. I don't know why it's hard to ask someone to speak out against anti-Jewish hate. It just boggles my mind. But look, whether you're the president of Penn or president, I'd say to the president of the local PTA, how do we deal with this rise of hate? We need people in positions of authority to unequivocally, again, without dithering, to speak out when hate happens, period. And then I think the third thing we actually still need to do, and this will be hard, but we can never create safe communities if we just fight hate we also have to build hope Mm -hmm. so that means we've got to be engaging with non-jewish segments of the black community or the lgbtq community and finding ways to come together i think the black lives matter chapters which have like celebrated the slaughter of jews chicago they should we should put them on the trash heap of history there are lots of other black leaders there are lots of other people in the african-american community who think it's repulsive what they've done so we have to, as Jews, recognize that there is strength and solidarity. And again, I will be unrelenting in calling out the anti-Zionists and the bigots and the haters. And I will be unstoppable in trying to forge alliances wherever we can because we ultimately need them. Yeah, you and I had the pleasure of being on Morning Joe together with Reverend Al, who's been a, a great supporter of causes. Yeah, like, look, Reverend Al... At, at risk. I mean, I get criticized for doing stuff with him. I know he gets criticized for doing stuff yeah. with me. And yet, like when this happened that Saturday, who do you think is one of the first people who called me? The rep yeah. called me to say, what do you need? How can I help? And the next day, the National Action Network with the NAACP, Drum Major Institute, Urban League released a big statement in, you know, sympathizing with the victims and calling out the hate. Like, the Reb didn't need to do that, but that's what it means to be in solidarity. You might not agree on everything, but you stand with one another when it counts. So we talked about Hollywood not coming out. You wrote an open letter to corporate America. I called out corporate America. We know how they rally behind other causes, rally behind Black Lives Matter, which was seen as a safe political place to go. Obviously, it was the humane thing to do also, but also there was going to be no other side to it. Why? Right. Why were they so concerned about the other side? And and they're being boycotted and put, you know, being Disneyed. Uh, why, 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 why? You know, it's a good question. My friend Jeff Sonnenfeld, who I know you know, sure. has uh, said, so, you know, CEOs are stepping up here and pointed out people like Albert Borla and from Pfizer and, and Jamie, Jamie Diamond. Jamie Diamond, yeah. There's a few, and, you know, the Business Roundtable said something early on. Small small percentage. But yeah, it has not been nearly what you would expect. I think in some ways, number one, I think CEOs have been fraught, you know, being a CEO today is not like it used to be. It's not like driving a PL or what's your earnings per share. Now it's like what's your position on every social issue of the mm-hmm. day? 
And I think in some ways they're like, oh my God, I can't take it yeah, anymore. Which I, I understand that, yes. Right. There could be a bit of an overload. But secondly, I do think that the anti-Israel side has tried to make this a political issue. And and just so you and I are clear, Donnie, of course, there's nothing political in calling out it's, evil. It's, I mean, it's, give, huma- it's humanity. It's, yeah, it's I, humanity. I, I'm on the side of humanity. Yeah. But I think there's been a lot of noise suggesting that somehow taking a position here represents a political statement when it's not political at all. But thirdly, you know what? I got to be honest with you, Donnie. It is up to us, the public, and people like you and I who have platforms to keep the pressure on and remind yeah. these chief executives that they're not just being measured by the quarterly results. They're being measured by how they show up in history. Yes. And I think we have to, again, there's a lot of quarterly pressure on the, on the chief executive of some big public equity. Oh, I got to hit my numbers. I got to drive sales. We need to remind them that they're also being judged, you know, not just by CNBC, if you will, but by the History Channel and keep that perspective in mind at all times. Some of the most concerning statistics that you guys have come up with is about the youth today mm. and the growing disparity and I don't know if this is social media, I don't know if this is as we get farther and farther away from the Holocaust, a much more predisposition to separate themselves from Israel and to uh, and to be a bit more, not a bit more, dramatically more unsympathetic. Yeah, the, the data is dramatic. I mean, there's definitely a left-right um, tinge to it, but it's very much a generational tinge as well. Like Zoomers, are very different than boomers on this. Yes, um, that's the age. That's the age. So I think it means a few things. I think number one, these young people have grown up in an era, Donnie, where all they know is BBNet and Yahoo, all they know is Startup Nation, all they know is Israel's an OECD country, all they know is Israel's a superpower, and the Palestinians they see as living, you know, being subordinated in an impoverished way and as if nothing were their fault. So- Again, as someone who supports a two-state solution, I think ultimately we need we need a rising tide that will lift all boats. And yet, we've got to educate these young people so they realize history didn't start in the year two thousand. You know that in fact you got to go back to the year you know a, a hundred years earlier to try to understand the history of the modern state of Israel and how things ended up the way that it did. So that's number one. But keep in mind as well, young people today, they can't tell you how many amendments there are in the constitution, no, right? No, no. They don't no. know who the secretary of transportation is. They they struggle to tell you what Puerto Rico is. Is it a state? Is it a territory? Is it a, is it a district or something else? So I just think civic knowledge is at a low point to begin with. And then Israel falls into that oversimplified bucket. So we've got our work cut out for us. You mentioned Netanyahu, uh, and many believe I'm one of them that the Israeli he's hurt the Israeli brand um, as he's focused on blowing up the judicial system instead of protecting Israel, and that Tom Friedman has been very passionate in his comms about it. Can Israel do the job it needs as far as its own image, as long as Netanyahu is the guy in charge there? That's well, a tough question. That's a hard question. I mean, I think. We were talking before about what Israel needs to do in going into Gaza. I think Israel's going to need to do that. Uh, to Again, I'm not the military strategist, but I know that's going to be hard on Israel's image because un- innocent people will be, as you said, the collateral damage. BB, um, I think the pursuit of judicial reform, it certainly kind of ground the country to a halt. It stimulated more protests to the country he'd ever seen in 75 years. But ultimately, I think he's going to be remembered for this for the massacre on the 7th and how Israel missed, 
you know, missed it, um, didn't stop it. So I think he will be judged by history in a way that will probably be, you know, very, it will, it will not be good. I hope that the country, it seems like the country has been unified now since October the 7th in ways that it wasn't before. I hope that that will remain. Yeah. Jonathan, thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the great work you do, the selfless work you do. Uh, you're so important to the, the humane causes that, that we're all fighting for. You're super kind. I appreciate that. And I just, it's nice to talk to you. And thank you for focusing on the issues. I really appreciate it. You got it, man. You stay well. You too.